Bibles to Genesis 29. And we're looking at a large portion of the text today, so we'll not read that um, together. But we, we are, I think it's just important as we do begin to remind you of several things. One, though, just as you think about your life uh, and you read Jacob's life, if you've had uh, many life experiences and you've seen trouble and trial, you'll understand if sometimes it's been because of what you've done and the things that you've, uh, the way you've deceived or been deceived or whatever. There's so many things here that will speak of just all kinds of trouble. It's hard to imagine how many things this guy uh, in his life, we just get a little glimpse because the Bible doesn't tell his whole story. It just tells little stories and, and, and it, it, I mean, little aspects of his life that are critical for us to understand, but we understand that he, he faced many different things. But I just encourage you today, as you look at this story, you are going to see in very clear form like many of the struggles that we face in our lives, again, sometimes because of someone's sin against us, other times because of our own sin, Jacob gets a little bit of all of that. And so we kind of see as we're kind of moving through. Now, as you kind of, as you're there, but we just kind of think about this for a moment. God had made a promise to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. And the promise was about people, a place, and really blessing. And Jacob, we know the story. I mean, he's on the run right now. He took off because he had stolen his brother's blessing, he, he, he hits the road, travels several hundred miles on the way, God reaffirms, I'm with you, I'm going to bless you, he says, I will be with you, protect you, bring you back, and never leave you uh, until I've accomplished everything that I've promised, and so God spoke to him, it's an amazing thing, because you kind of feel like Jacob will be sitting there going, "Is if the Lord speaks to him, it would be something of like judgment, but instead God says, I'm going to go with you. And, and again, with Jacob's life, you think, how? what's the Lord doing? And we see it's not by Jacob's merit that he is rescued by God. It is not by his merit that God's presence is with him or God's going to protect him. It is solely on the grace of God that he is going to rescue Jacob and save him and use him to be a blessing to the nation. So I just think it's important that you note that. Now, another thing just this morning is just a reminder, like God is going to, he says there will be many descendants as the stars of the sky and really all we've had is like Abraham, then Abraham has one son, Isaac. And so you think this is not like the stars of the sky. But once we get to Jacob, today we're going to see he's going to have many children and those children will have many children and it's going to begin to expand. And so we see the promise kind of unfolding, even though there's a bunch of crazy, difficult circumstances as we look at this text. Now, the other thing just I think is important to note as we're looking at this is that we're going to see like idols in people's hearts. And we're going to see like when it, everything kind of gets really tough, you begin to see what's on their heart. What do they cherish most? Jacob's going to cherish something the most. And you're going to see his wife Leah cherish something and put that in priority. Rachel's going to do the same. And we see kind of these idolatrous hearts. And, and even though they're like that, even though they're not putting God first and putting him at the center, God's still working in this situation. The other thing that just kind of comes to our mind again is that human deception cannot thwart God's plan. I think we need to think about that over and over and over. We talk about God's providence. What is God's providence? God's providence are, are the holy, wise, and powerful acts by which He preserves and governs all His creatures and all their actions. If we believe that, that God is preserving and governing all His creatures and all of their actions, then we know that even human deception cannot 
change God's plan. He's going to bring it about. And so I just think it's important that we see that today because you and I have to live in the here and now and we face all kinds of circumstances and we ask ourselves often, will God protect me? Will he guide me? Will he oversee me? Is he, is he walking with me through these trials? And we can see here that he is. So if you would just bow with me, let's pray together. Father, I just ask today that you would would help us see through this story as we see you unfold and unpack what you're doing. Lord, I pray we would see our lives and understand that you are a God who sees. You are a God who rules. You are a God who is good. And that with your people, you're accomplishing your plan even in the midst of great trouble. Lord, I know that there are many here today who in their past, in their present, and we know in their future, will face dark days. There will be wild and crazy things that happen, some in their control, some outside of their control. But Lord, I just pray you would help us trust you and see you working every step of the way to accomplish your plan. In Christ's name, amen. As we look at Genesis 29, verses 1 and 2, as you start there, Jacob has, like I said, traveled several hundred miles uh, this well story kind of reminds you about his mother who, in the same way, if you remember, there was a servant of Abraham. They came up to a well, and here's Jacob again. And he is coming to this well. We don't know if it's the same well, but we do know there's something similar here. It's very close to the place where his mother grew up, and now he's going back, and he's trying to find his mother's brother. And so I think it's just important, as you see this, this story kind of unfold here. Now, one of the things that's different the last little well story where Isaac's wife Rebecca was found, the servant comes up and he is showing up with all kinds of goods. I mean, he has like 10 camels filled with good presents and stuff. When Jacob shows up, he doesn't have anything. He is all alone. He's not necessarily prepared for a bride in the way that the servant was. It's, it's, that's kind of a, a powerful thing in the scene as you're, as you're moving through. Um, and and it's, just, it's another thing that's kind of important Jacob is not constantly praying to God. It doesn't appear that he's just really like seeking the Lord. The servant was constantly getting on his knees, asking God, praying to God, seeking God. We don't necessarily see this in the story. Now, in verse 2, as you're moving forward, we find out that this well has a large stone over it, over the top of it, and the shepherds really would wait together, and they would wait till everybody showed up, and then they would, like as a group, I guess, pick this large stone up, water their flocks, and then put it back on. You kind of see that as we're moving forward. Now, Jacob, when he shows up, he asks the guys uh, about where they're from. They say, we're from Haran, which is what he wanted to know. And then he, he also asks them you know, a couple more questions, and they, they tell him, like, uh, Rachel's on her way. And this is the, the, one of the women he'll marry. It's Laban's daughter, and he's, uh, she's on her way, and he's waiting for her. And that kind of, as we kind of progress through, in verses 7 and 8, just to kind of think about what's taking place, Jacob begins to kind of throw some of his opinions on these guys. So you'll notice this. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Now, what is Jacob doing? It's kind of weird. He shows up in town all by himself and he's, uh, I don't know, questioning their business practices in a way. Now, I don't really you think, well, why is this here? in the story. Well, one might be, and I don't know for sure, but there is something about this story that kind of makes you think, 
that, jo that, that Jacob may have been a very industrious kind of business person. Because ultimately later he's going to pick this stone up by himself and set it back on. So he's a strong man. He might be industrious. He's someone really, as we kind of think about what's taking place, that maybe his new father-in-law would want working for him. I think that's kind of what it's given you a picture of. And so he's driven and he's industrious and he's innovative or whatever. And he's kind of questioning the practices of those guys. And it's kind of maybe a picture of like maybe the shepherds in that region are a little bit slouchy and not really having it together. And of course, maybe there aren't great strong men to have for, you know, uh, to take Take this man Laban's daughters as his bride. So it's just important just to kind of note that, I think. So as we you know, move forward in verse 9 and 10, Jacob kind of ends up seeing Rachel. She shows up. And, and, and when he sees her, he ends up watering her flocks, and he weeps, and he says, I'm part of your family. And she takes off, and she runs and tells her father. So again, this story kind of mirrors a story we've seen in Genesis so far. Now, when, when this happens, Laban, which is, is his uncle, he comes out and he meets Jacob and he and he cries and he's like, oh, I'm going to bring you into the house or whatever. And he says about him that you are bone of my bone and, and flesh of my flesh. Kind of, it's a way, it's a little bit kind of like, oh, maybe they're a little bit too close in likeness. Because Laban's going to kind of do the same thing Jacob did. So, you know, you just kind of think about that as you're moving ahead. But here's what we see. In Genesis 28:15, God said, I will be with you. I, I'm going to protect you. And he's going to be with him all the way through. I'll be with you. I will keep you wherever you go and bring you back. Now, here's the thing. At the very outset, we see the Lord's with him. He's guiding his steps. Even though we don't see Jacob saying much about that, the Lord is working. He, he, is, he is accomplishing his plan. Jacob's steps are, are quick to get to the place that he needs to be. So you keep moving forward in 28, 14b through 20. Now, here's what's going to, I mean, 29, 14 through 20. That's what we see that Jacob ends up going into the house of Laban. He stays there for a month, and after a month, Laban says, you know, I should, you know, I should pay you something. What will be my pay? What should I do? Now look at what happens in verse 16. We find out about Laban's daughters. And notice what it says here. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. It just stops you for a moment and says, okay, now the narrator wants to say, check out what's taking place here. Now as you keep moving forward, we find out that Jacob loved Rachel. Now this is not necessarily that he knows her character or spent a lot of time with her. We don't know. He's been in the house for a month, but there's something about the attraction. He thinks she's beautiful and forming appearance, and he's like, I want this girl. I want her to be my wife. He loves her. Again, now that's kind of weird in the ancient world. It's hard for us to understand this. But people didn't really date like we think about it. They didn't like walk along, they're going to school, they look up and say, boy, she's really pretty, I want to date her. And so then they start this relationship and they're madly in love and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't really how it was. Usually the families made a deal together and they said, you're going to have her as your bride. And, and forget love, They just that's what it was a different kind of thing. Now when I say forget love, I mean forget this emotional, oh, I'm in love, I'm so in love, and next week I'm out of love. It's just a different kind of deal. They, they chose to love. It was a choice, and it was really often set up by the family. Now, the, here's kind of what, this is what takes place. Usually, like I said, like the servant before, they would come in with these camels, like, like this is what happened with Abraham's servant. He brought all this money, all these things, all these presents, and he's going to just like, it's like a bride price. He says, I want her to be my, my, 
man's bride. And so I'm just going to give you all this junk and I'm going to give you amazing things and it's going to show my wealth and you're going to love it because you're going to be richer after I leave. Jacob doesn't have anything and so Jacob makes a deal. He says, I will serve seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And then Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And so Jacob serves all this time. Notice what happens in verse 20. And they seem to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. It almost sounds like obsession, right? I mean, that dude is working seven years, day in and day out, and he is just like, it's just like a few days because he loves her so much. And he's so excited when the time comes. Look at verses 21. And really, 21 through 30 is where we kind of find out that Jacob's not going to be on the best end of this deal. So you look at this, it was moved forward. In verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may uh, go into her, for my time is completed. So he's demanding his wife. His labor's been done. And so guess what Laban does? Laban decides, let's have a big party, which was common. Let's have a big party, bring everybody together, and, and let's just, I mean, there'll be plenty of wine, plenty of food, plenty of dancing. I mean, it is fun, fun, fun. Everybody's going to have such a good time. And then after this is over, at the end of the night, I'm going to kind of work this deal out to, for my advantage. And so Laban waits till late in the evening. Now, we have to remind ourselves, she's veiled the whole time. His so-called Rachel is veiled. She... She would be, it would hide all of her. I mean, she would be covered from really almost head to toe. And I don't really understand all this going on, but ultimately, I don't know actually when Laban made the swap, but he's got this older daughter, Leah, who's not this beautiful woman, and he has Rachel, and somewhere along the way, through the night, through all the festivities and all the excitement, he was kind of waiting until Jacob's heart was merry. Maybe he had a little too much to drink. And he says, okay, let's bring them together, and they make some kind of, you know, vows together typically, and then they would go into a dark tent. And they go into that tent, and, and all of this would kind of take place. So Laban decides to, <clears throat> he, he basically lays all this out, he lays out the plan, and he decides to do this to her, and I, or to them. And I, I think it's important just to, to kind of um, understand it. I just want you to look at this text, though, just so you see it. Um, it we see here, but in the evening, verse 23, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. There's this element where he's like blown away. He wakes up after a long maybe rest. He gets up in the morning. He's like kind of rubbing everything out of his eyes. He looks over, and he's like the wrong one. And so all this is kind of unfolding before us. We see it. It's a wild deal. Now, I want to read a couple of things to you because I don't feel like I could say them as good as they're written here. But just about this story that kind of helps us see what's taking place um, now because Jacob's going to say to Laban why did you deceive me why did you give me the wrong girl as those words why did you deceive me were passing through his lips there must have been a haunting feeling he uses the same word that his father used to describe what he did to him why did you deceive me for profit why did you exploit my weakness does Jacob know that he is what he is saying Perhaps it dawned on him as the words were coming out of his mouth, but if not, it all would have dawned on him when Laban makes his retort. Laban says, Around here it is the custom to put the younger before the firstborn. Those words must have been like a dagger in Jacob's heart. One man says, Laban is an instrument of dramatic irony. 
Perhaps Laban was saying this unconsciously since it was perfectly true, or perhaps Laban had learned what Jacob had done and was making reference to it. But either way, these words could, could not fail to make Jacob think what he did and set his guilty conscience on fire. Oh no, he's, the, he's, he's doing to me what I did to my father and to Esau when he stole the blessing. The deceiver had been deceived. The parallels are hard to miss. Jacob's deceit and Laban's deceit both entailed deception and exploitation of weakness and the switch of the firstborn and the secondborn. Now check this out. This is really helpful to me too. And there is a second irony and a parallel between Jacob's deceit and Laban's. The very form was the same. In both situations, a man in the dark was not able to see who it was he was touching. Robert Alter quotes a rabbi who imagines an angry encounter with Leah the day after. And Jacob said to her, I called out Rachel in the dark and you answered, why did you do that to me? And Leah said to him, your father called out Esau in the dark and you answered, why did you do that to him? The way in which Jacob is now facing the same thing that he had done before. It's interesting in this life as we think about it over and over, you see there are times where you think you got away with something. And then there's times where you think someone got away with something on you. We see deceit and, and, and just all kinds of things moving through this whole story. And we say, man, Jacob should have never walked in the way that he did. And Laban should have never done David the, I mean, uh, uh, Jacob the way that he did. But ultimately, what we see is God's going to accomplish his plan even in all of this deceiving. And so as we move forward, we find out that in verses 26, uh, really through 30, What's going to happen is God's, there's going to be consequences to Jacob's sin. Certainly, he's going to face all this trouble, but ultimately, he's going to get Rachel as his wife. So now he's married to Leah and Rachel, and he serves another seven years and it, with, with the, the intent to have Rachel as his wife. He actually gets her, though, before he serves those seven years. So he's really going to serve 14 years for two wives. And he really wanted the only Rachel and so we see this kind of unfolding before us but we know that God is using it in his life to discipline him to grow him and to strengthen him ultimately this is what he's going to say at the end of all this I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant he's going to say God has been faithful to me when I was unfaithful God has protected me when other people were unfaithful to me it's all the way through God has been guiding and leading and working in all of these things now here's what's going to happen in this story, after all that drama, there's more drama to come because there needs to be some children. Jacob has been promised these great descendants. And so we start in verses 31 through 35, and what we see is that there's a young, Leah who was hated, it says. That's, is that not odd to you? It speaks of her as being hated, and I don't know, I mean, that, that's, that's one of those stories you kind of think about, man, that is a very powerful statement. But Leah was just kind of like Jacob didn't treat her rightly. Leah was not like treated like she should have been treated. But ultimately, God is working in all that because God is going to open her womb and she's going to have children. Now, note what happens here. She's going to have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all of these. And notice what she'll do. She's going to speak of the Lord over and over. If you look in those verses... She'll say, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for my husband did not love me. And so she's going to speak about uh, those things. And then she's going to say, because I've been hated, the Lord has given me another son. She's going to keep moving forward. And ultimately, she says, this time I will praise the Lord after she has her fourth son. 
It's a really powerful story as it's unfolded before us. We observe God opening the womb of Leah, the one who's hated, and really the one that had been a part of this scam that, that, that her father had kind of done here. All of this is going on. Now, what do we see about Leah here? I think it's important just to note this. She's certainly making reference to the Lord, but she's also making reference to what she wants most. She wants her husband to love her. She is longing for that. It seems to be at the center of her heart. It's a heartbreaking thing. Jacob does not love her. And she idolized him. Now, as you kind of keep moving forward, who does he love? He, Jacob loves Rachel, and he, he idolizes her. And we see that kind of unfold as we move forward. Now, look at verses 1 and 2 here. When Rachel saw that she had bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. It reminds you of Sarah back in Genesis. I mean, early on, she kind of said the same thing. Jacob's anger was kindled against her. He says, am I in the place of God? So we see Leah just wanting the love of her husband. Rachel wanting children to the point where she's saying, give me children or I die. It's not really a sign of contentment. She is going after her husband. She disrespects him. And, and she expects something that he could never do. So anyway, what does she decide to do? And you're just going to kind of see this as you move through the text, just to put it together. She decides to give her maidservant, Bilpah, and she says, I'm going to give her to you, Jacob, and you are going to have some kids. And so she has a couple of children. Leah says, oh, I can't have any more children. So she's going to do the same, and they're going to have a couple more children. All of this is kind of unfolding before us as we move through this text. Now, as you keep moving forward, get to verse 14. It kind of gets heightened here. Evidently, the oldest son, Reuben, is out, and he finds something that's very valuable in that time. He, he found some mandrakes. Those were, just, those were things that were supposed to help with fertility. And Rachel finds out about it, and she hadn't been able to have any babies, and so she goes to her sister and says, give me those mandrakes so I can have children. And Leah says, I'll do it if you'll give me my husband back for, the, for a night. And so they make a swap, and all of this craziness is going on. Ultimately, Leah has some more children. And then later we'll see in verses 22 through 24 that, that God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Now, what she's saying, ultimately we're going to see her have one more child. But you see, let's just go back over the story real quick. Jacob shows up in town. He sees Rachel. She comes forward. He is so excited. He's penniless. And so Laban, the, the, his, uh, really his uncle, said to him, look, you can stay with me. And he said, but what am I going to pay you? And he says, give me this daughter, Rachel. I'll work for you seven years, which was a handsome price. And so at the end of seven years, he's so excited. He's about to get his bride. Laban slips in the older sister, Leah. He ends up with her, and then he ends up getting Rachel, and then he has to work seven more years, a total of 14 years, and then they start having children, but Rachel can't have children, and so you go through this whole process. But what is this process doing? It's building these all these children. I mean, for some of us, you think, good night, how many children does that cat need? I mean, that's a bunch of kids. Like, what is going on here? But in that time, it was, it was like you really, it was really encouraged to have many children, to have children's children in great number was an exciting thing. And it should be for us, but not all of us necessarily would have 12. But still, I mean, it's a very powerful thing in the story. Now, here's what's going to take place. Those children 
are going to be the 12, the boys are going to be the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. This family is going to grow into a mighty number and we're seeing God unveil before, you know, like open up to us how He's going to make this a great nation. And it will be founded upon these sons. Benjamin is to come, but still, these children will come and they will be the leaders of a nation. It's a very powerful story for us that even in the midst of all this deception, all along the way, God is working to accomplish His plan. Now, there's two things we just want to draw out as we kind of conclude this today. One is, I think for us, and we need to always ask ourselves, what, what's going on in our hearts? When you see Jacob like obsessed with Rachel, and it just it's so consuming to him, there's almost like an idolatry there. When we see Leah saying, I want Jacob so bad that everything in her life is centered in that, it's, almost, it's like a picture of idolatry there. And when you see Rachel saying, give me this child or I'll die, and almost trying to force his hand in that way, well, I think we could say this is idolatry before us. What, what's an idol? It, it's anything, and I, we mentioned this, but I think you just need to remember, anything that you will sin to get, or sin when you don't get it. An idol is anything that you will sin to get, or sin when you don't get it. That does not mean it's bad. Do you understand that? Sometimes idols are good things. Sometimes I want comfort or I want rest or I want this. And if I'll sin to get my rest or sin when I don't, or maybe say, I need some time for me, recreation. I need some of that deer hunting time coming up on the season. And I'll say, I need that. And Anna was telling me the other day, look, it's a different day. We got a baby. You know, you can't be. And I'm like, whoa, hold on just a second. We're not going to come in on my life. This is not going to take away from me. Anything that becomes too important and it becomes the thing where I'll say, okay, I won't go today, but I'm going to be ticked the rest of the day and the whole house will know it. All William and Anna. You know, it's not like this massive, but I mean, they'll know it because I didn't get my way anytime I go to that point and we see that over and over and over again. Well, even a good thing, when it becomes a God thing, it's a bad thing. Whenever I will sin, Whenever a wife will sin against her husband when he doesn't do what she wants, it, it, it's, it's idolatry. It's putting myself, it's putting whatever I want, it's comfort, it's ease, it's control, whatever it may be. Whenever an employee will sin against their employer, employer against his employee, whatever, to get what they want, it's sin. And in this story, I think it just, we need to remind ourselves that we, like Jacob and like Leah and like Rachel, struggle with putting the wrong things at, at preeminence in our lives. And the cost is devastating. I mean, the, the, their, their lives were filled with much struggle because of their passionate love for the, and their chief treasure being anything other than God. It's always that way. And we think, well, we deserve this, or we want this, or we desire this, or it's just so consuming, I can't let it go. Whenever it's that way, it's an idol. It's just that, that's the way it is. And it can deal with, with wanting to, to achieve success, wanting to win in this, wanting to um, look a certain way, wanting my life to be a certain way, wanting everything to put together in a certain way. Whenever it becomes all-consuming, it becomes the most important thing in my life. And oftentimes it will, will manifest itself in me sinning against others when I don't get it. 
And I, I just think, again, in this story, we say, good night. These people are a disaster. But their lives look like ours. Reading this story is like looking in the mirror. Reading this story is like honestly saying, I know the trouble of family life. And I know it's tied to all different kinds of brokenness within us. And the biggest problem is not the people that I'm facing, it's me. The biggest problem oftentimes when you could just lay it out there in your relationships is you. It's not someone else making you sin. It is you choosing to sin because someone didn't do what you want. And we see that just flooding this story. You see that? It happens every single day. All this reminds us that our only hope is to come to one who would cleanse us from our idolatry who would break the chains of our idolatry. And I think it's just another thing just to say, when we're looking at this story, it's filled with deception. Over and over you see deception, deception, deception. And we think back, the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. Jacob deceived his father. Laban deceives Jacob. And then you kind of go move forward the New Testament. Judas thinks he deceives Jesus and sells him for 30 pieces of silver. The chief priest and council deceive and use false testimony to, to, to really condemn Jesus. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, but allowed the deception to move forward. Over and over we see this happening, but here's what Jesus says about all this craziness and all this deception and all of this wild things that were taking place. In Luke 24, 46 and 47, He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. He goes to this point and Jesus says, listen, what they meant for evil, what they meant for evil, all of those deceiving, rebellious men, what they meant for evil, God meant for good. God is accomplishing His plan in our lives through human deception, through the deception that we do, through deception from others. Whatever it is, God is moving. He's accomplishing His plan. And He does so in the most beautiful way. When Christ came, He died, He rose again, and God said through Him, all, all that come will be saved. The one who was most mistreated who did not deserve it, embrace that suffering and embrace the deception so that we might be saved. So today, as you think about God's working out His plan in Jacob's life, we know that He did that through Christ. And His big plan of saving a people was found in Him so that you and I here today can look to Jesus and say He is our hope He is the one who will save us from our idolatry. He is the one that will save us from those who deceive us all around. He is the one that's working to accomplish His plan. And we turn to Him. And we repent of our sins. And we trust Him. And we know that He not only would save us and that He's with us, but that one day He will completely wipe away every tear, every struggle, 
every sin that so easily grabs us and make all things new. That is the most exciting thing in all the world. And so I encourage you today, if you are without Christ, your life, I know, even if you are with Christ, you know the struggles we face, but God has brought salvation to us in His Son. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for today. We thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You for the story of Jacob that we identify with. We thank You, Lord, that even through all of the sin and all of the wickedness in the human heart and all of the wrong desires and the wrong focus, Lord, that You save the people for Yourself. That You accomplish this through Your Son fully and finally. And that we, although we face many dangers and struggles and sins of our own and the sins of others around us, that we can trust that You're doing Your work, that You're guiding for us and providing for us, and that You will be with us even to the ends of the age. In Christ's name, Amen.